Thanks so much for tuning in to the Bethlehem Church Podcast, where our goal is to offer you compelling biblical content to equip you to live an empowered Christian life. Today, Pastor Matt's preaching through 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we're talking about the resurrection. Let's jump in. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'm excited to be back in the pulpit and preaching. I feel most at home when I am behind this pulpit and uh, preaching the word of God. And I'm excited about this. If you look at it, take your Bibles and turn, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, or get your phone out if you need it. Look at how many verses are in 1 Corinthians 15. 58. 58 verses, Uh, so we're going to be here a couple hours this morning, and uh, we're going to work through each one of them, just kidding. Uh, We're going to have to kind of paraphrase, if you will, plus we have communion that we're going to take at the end, Uh, and it's a great day to take communion. Any day that you're focused on the resurrection and the gospel, uh, the, the gospel should be in clear, plain view by the end of this message, ready to receive of the Lord's table, Um, but considering like where this chapter is in the scope of our study. Uh, I've really enjoyed walking through 1 Corinthians. James, how are you, man? Good. Good to see you. Congrats on your baptism. That was fun. That was good stuff. Uh, But um, anyway, I I just think it's when you consider all of the topics uh, that Paul has worked through and then coming off of this study on the Holy Spirit, right? It's you know, chapter 12 through chapter 14 is all about the giftings, and this church was obsessed with being good at things. Does that, does that sound like any other you know, society, right? Uh, we're obsessed with having that perfect video or that talent that we have being known. You know, we all have this like innate desire in us to be fully known, right? Uh, and, and look at what prime time is. It's America's Got Talent. It's American Idol. Everybody just wants to get their talent out there and be noticed and be recognized. Well, in this church, Paul was trying to tell them that that's not the point of the church. The point is actually unity. And if, and if we have unity as the goal, then one person that would stick out is, is really kind of against right, the whole being apart, or, or the whole being kind of the same and working and operating in their separate gifts for the collective good. Does that make sense? We're all about standing out, and Paul is like, no, this is a collective unifying effort for everybody to be there for each other. In fact, you, you need to hide yourself in, in, in this body so that it's about the collective body and the collective good and not just about you. Um, and so he uses this, and, and I'm sure that it was a problem. I'm sure there was an issue, and that's why he's addressing it with 58 verses. Um, but he, he, regardless of the reason, he addresses, oh, man, I feel so much safer. I feel so much safer. Shout out to Jose. Come on, man. Good to see you. Hey, hey. Uh, back to blue. That's right. Uh, but I, I think that, it's, it's a foundational point. It's a launching pad. It's not just the fact that he's addressing a specific issue. I think he's saying, as I, as I leave you with this, because he's about to go on with his closing remarks in chapter 16, I, I, want to get, I want you to get this truth. Hi, Miss Mary. I want you to get this truth right. I'm very distracted today. I'm just seeing all of you that I haven't seen in a while, and I want to greet each one of you. God bless you. Love you. Um, anyway, he's, he's laying this foundational, you can tell I've been out of the pulpit a little while. This is great. I'm going to be here a while, just so you know. Y'all just hang out with me for a while. Mm. 
It's good stuff. But he's laying this foundational truth because, and I submit to you this morning, if we can get this thing right, I, I can't overstate how much of a difference it's gonna make in your life. If we can get this truth right, if we can embark on 2 Corinthians, which is where we're headed after this, if we can tidy this thing up with the truth of the resurrection sharp and solid, I promise you there's not much we, we won't make it through. How many feel like sometimes, it's rhetorical, but how many feel sometimes you just don't have what you need? I just, I want to do that, Lord. I want to be that person. I wanna be brave for my kids or I wanna make that decision, but maybe you feel like you just don't have what you need. I, if I only had, you know what I mean? It's like you usually feel those things like down in your gut where you fake it till you make it and you put the face on for everybody else. But ultimately, when you're alone in your prayer closet, you're like, Lord, nobody knows, but I'm lost. Nobody knows, but I'm actually struggling with this. This doctrine, this message will help with those moments. This doctrine will, when you have that feeling of I don't know, it will come through. It will bleed through and it will say, yes, you can. Yes, you will. Take that next step because we believe in the power of his resurrection. 58 verses. I'm gonna jump around. We're gonna read different. I've kind of like uh, chopped it up and put it in an order that makes sense in a flow for my mind, which means it probably won't make sense to anyone. <laughs> uh, just kidding. And then we're gonna end with a practical application. And if we get to it, uh, a very striking verse. I don't think I, I said it this morning. I didn't. I left it off this morning. Uh, I didn't have time to get to it. So I prayerfully will have time to get to it. Verse number eight is probably one of the most strange verses that I've seen in this entire book. Uh, and, and it stood out to me this week. And I thought, why would he say that? That's so strange. And then when I looked up the, the etymology and where that word is used elsewhere, I was like, whoa, that's even weirder than I first initially anticipated and then when, when it all came to me of like, oh my goodness, I know what he's saying. Uh, it's a very stunning illustration to wrap up this study on the resurrection uh, and kind of our perspective. I'm gonna pray one more time. Will you pray in your heart that the Lord will do something uh, today through his word uh, while I pray? Father, we need your spirit. We need your guidance. We ask right now that your spirit would instruct us and teach us and work through your word like only you can do. Cut through, Father. Lay us open to the place where we need restored, where the broken can be redeemed. In Jesus' name, and all God's children said, amen. All right, let's go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50 through 58. We're going to read verses 50 through 58. What I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So after he's already had the whole chapter, we reach the end. This is the end, kind of the synopsis here of the story, which you'll notice some very famous verses here at the end, but I want, I want you to hear them in context. Paul is saying, what I'm saying is, is this, brothers and sisters, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. Verse 51, listen, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. 
For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we will be changed. For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Then, once that happens, then this saying, which is very famous, will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death? King James says, oh, death. Where death is your sting? The sting of death is what? Sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast. Therefore, because of, because what I've said, brothers and sisters, you need to be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. In those moments, in those places where where you feel like the Lord's grace stops, persevere. Get through them. Be steadfast. In that moment where that sin is captivating you, know that that sin will come to an end and the kingdom of God will begin. The kingdom of God will carry you through. It will not have an end point. It will just be beginning for all eternity. So therefore, keep going. Push through if you understand this. There is a climactic ending to this chapter where Paul showcases the defeat of this death character and the victory of Jesus. This, this death character, do you see it? Look, at, look right there, verse number 54. Death has been swallowed up. Where death, verse 55, is your victory? It's the personification of death. Do you see it? Do you see it? Are you looking at your Bibles? This, this thing of like death being this person, right? This is a common uh, philosophy, right? And, a, and an understanding that death was... Uh, this superhero, if you will, that death came for you. Death would have a hold on you. And, and this tussle or this battle or this match here at the end of chapter uh, 15 is between Jesus and who? And death. It's, it's the personification of this person. This, this person is viewed as someone who has control over your mortality, your mortal body. Do you see that? This was a common thing. How many have watched the movie Hercules with your kids, the Disney movie? Anybody? Hercules, Hercules, not that one. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> this thing is like, <laughs> that was a different one, sidebar. Whew. Uh, that was a funny movie. That was a great. When did that come out? Anybody remember? Google it once. Google it. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but, but this thing of like, Hades and the underworld, right? Everyone who dies in, in their context and in Paul's day was viewed to go to the underworld. So it wasn't necessarily this like heaven and hell piece like we imagine it. There was a, a shift when Jesus died in First Peter kind of, right, we walked through some of this. Jesus went down to this underworld. Uh, they viewed there as to be this like portal up and a portal down. And the world is flat. That's kind of how they, they viewed the world. They didn't understand things 
uh, to the degree that we understand them today. So looking through that, that optic lens of a flat earth, <laughs> anyway, but looking through that with it, with it being flat and there's a point where you, you go down to the underworld, Jesus went down and challenged the underworld in the sense that the power or the God of the dead or the God of those that are holding you down, those that have moved uh, from life to death, the Bible says in Peter that Jesus set them free. He, he set those uh, captives or captivity captive. He set them free in that sense. This is the idea or, and there's a lot of rhetoric, right, around what we believe as Christians and what we view. But ultimately what you have to consider is that you have in your mind what you think the afterlife looks like. Right, you have in your mind. Well, I remember singing that song. I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. Right, we have this like in our mind. We think of how we think heaven looks like, and what hell looks like, and right, and it's like that's what it is. Well, maybe not. <laughs> maybe that's not what it looks like. Maybe it's a little different. Maybe it's kind of what Paul is trying to describe to us. And what he's describing to us is there was this cosmic battle between death and Jesus. And the very force that takes your life, your spirit, your soul, the spiritual, the never dying part of you when your body returns to dust and your soul lives on, where that place goes, this idea of death reigned. It was his call. It was, it was him that said, okay, we own this one and they go to the underworld. Unpacking that and considering the fact that when Jesus died, the temple veil was rent and, and the battle went on. And considering for three days, I mean, it's even equated, I think it's in the book of Matthew, and I'm just, this is all introduction, apart from, the, I'm just shooting from the hip here. Um, and if you're looking at the program, you know that. Uh, but, but this idea from Matthew is that he goes into the heart of the earth for three days and three nights, and, and he's equated to the story of Jonah, right? Where Jonah was swallowed up and then puked out to go to Nineveh, right? Cody talked about that over the last couple weeks. The New Testament authors use that as an illustration of Jesus being swallowed up and then defeating the enemy of death. So in their optic, in their perspective, death was this enemy that no one could defeat, that no one had the power over. Why? Because we are all sinners. Paul leaves the trail and, and he connects this passage to the book of Romans, but more Romans is gonna talk about the justification by faith, which is the theme, uh, but, but what's happening here in Corinth is he's trying to get the perspective of the mechanics of the resurrection. He's trying to say, this is what's happening, and for you to believe in this is the foundation of the gospel, and, he, and, and that's what he's gonna do. And so when, he, when he's saying to them, oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Paul is saying, listen, uh, uh, there, there's this thing called death that no one has ever escaped. No one has ever uh, been able to defeat. And, and when you pass from life to death, death holds you. Death has you. And, and the reason death is able to do that is because of your sin. You don't have a say. It's appointed unto men once to what? To die. And after this, the judgment. 
The scriptures are faithful. There's continuity with this idea that death reigns in our mortal bodies because of sin. But thanks be to God, Jesus came. This is when we, yeah, I got some Steve there. Thank you, Jason. I, I, need, I need to have a full understanding of, of, of how sin works. Well, what it is is it reigns in your mortal body. I could, then I could connect my ailments. I can connect the physical nature of what brings death in my life to my what? To my sin. Not per se to say I have been stricken ill because of a specific sin, but just because I what? Have sin. Do you have an illustration of that or a scripture? Yeah, Romans 5.12. Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. So therefore, it's, it's kind of just this idea that we are mitigating the effects. We take medications, we try to live the best quality life that we can and eat healthy and, and do all these things and exercise, but ultimately, death is gonna reign in our mortal body. Ultimately, what you're trying to do to reverse the effects is inevitable that you will, what, one day die. And how much of our lives is spent, and this is where the practicality comes in, how much of our lives is spent focused on that day? How much of our lives is spent in preparation for that day or wondering how that's gonna be or what it's gonna be or what that's gonna look like and we give energy to it and we prepare for it our entire lives. We prepare for this thing called death because it's inevitable and it's gonna happen, right? We have life insurance. We have things that we do uh, that will try to mitigate the effects of it. But I, I wanna just make it clear that we deal with this because of our sin. Which is why it was imperative that Jesus come and what? Die. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sins. We're gonna partake in the Lord's Supper that shows the broken body and the blood of the Lord that was shed, that, that death reigned in his body so that he could, really it was a tussle, and defeat it. But that's really the, the basis of the, the bedrock of what Paul is saying. Now, all of what I've said so far Looking at this scripture here, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? Verse, five, verse 55, the sting of death is sin, the power of the sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory. So therefore, these effects don't have to rule and reign over us. Okay, now, we have to move really fast because that was a really long intro that wasn't planned. He has stated in the text uh, that this is a part of the plan. The plan is death, and death claims its victims into the underworld, but we receive something of immortality. And some of this, you need to go home and read this passage of scripture several times. There's so much in here. We take on a new spiritual and supernatural being that not only escapes death, but rather defeats it. And, and might I say this here? We are so consumed with those nuances of what's it gonna be like? What's our body gonna be like? You see, it said the trump is gonna sound. That means there's gonna be a rapture. That means we're not gonna see these things. We get overly, and this is what this church did, we get overly concerned with things that absolutely do not what? They do not matter. Their perspective, let me, let me, let me tell you where Paul 
lands. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work. That's where Paul lands. Paul lands in a place where it affects how we live, not what's gonna happen. Most Christians are so consumed and focused on the what ifs that they miss what they're supposed to be doing right now. This church was so focused on the gifts and being so pretty and doing the work that they miss the work. You get what I'm saying? There's no sting of death. There's no victory that death has over me. Then why are you living that way? Why are you living in fear? Why are you living in shame? Why are you living in guilt if death does not reign in you? My point is, is death is reigning in us more than we realize. My point is, is that death is cheating on you. Death knows that there's no W in the future. Death knows he tussled with the Savior. He tussled death, the, the great champion, the one who never lost a battle when Jesus went in the grave and he contested death. He pinned him and it was one, two, and on the third day he rose again. Amen. He defeated death. So all death can do is knock at your door and say, I'm waiting, I'm coming, I've got a full house and you only got one pair. He's cheating you, he's cheating you, he's robbing you of immortality, he's robbing you of the power of the resurrection. That's what he's doing. But we're more concerned about the eschatological timeline and the things that in this chapter we think fit our systems and structures rather than the truth of the passage. Don't make that mistake. There was this plan. Death claims its victims, but boy, was that reversed. Okay, go to verse 45. Verse 45, we're gonna work our way back through. Verse 45 says this in chapter 15, so it is written, the first man, Adam, okay, We're back to this illustration here that he used in Romans chapter five. The first man, Adam, being a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Oh my goodness. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man was from earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. Like the man of dust, so are those who are of dust. Like the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. Don't miss this wording here, and it is so good. And just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. That is some powerful stuff. Paul gives us four points. Four points to the gospel that are essential here in this text. Now go to chapter 15, verse three. Look at this. For I have passed on to you as most important, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Now remember, our sin is what we received from the first what? The first Adam. We received the flesh, that's saying we received a sin nature. That comes first, we're born into this world, but the plan of redemption, the gospel, the good news, and and I wanna say this and put the jelly on the bottom shelf because I feel like sometimes Christians come to church and they don't know what the gospel is. It's like the most important thing ever, right? And we, we need to know what that is, not just rhetoric, but like internalize it, believe it. And the point is, is the first Adam gave you your body and your sin nature, the second Adam gives you the spirit of life. 
Why is that important? Listen, the doctrine of it is this. Why do we believe that Jesus has to be virgin born? Because he's the second Adam. The truth is, is Adam was created and made perfect. He made a decision to what? Sin. Then therefore his decision passed to all men. Therefore I didn't make a decision to become a sinner. I was born in sin. I was conceived in sin. So therefore it's important that Jesus was conceived of the Holy Ghost in the Virgin Mary. Why? Because miraculous conversion means he has a second chance at being sinless. That's why we believe in the virgin birth. Well, it didn't really happen. That's just, you know, they're just making stuff up. And we shouldn't put that there. They said weird things back then. Look, we've got to get past this thing of rationalization. Trust science. Like, uh, you, listen, this is where, <laughs> this is where your faith needs to be faith. Many of you will struggle with this. You'll be like, no. No, I'm believing that. That's like Marvel comic book stuff. First of all, where did Marvel comic book stuff come from? Just saying. Yeah, I'm just saying. I think it's spiritual. <laughs> what was that? George Bush showed up right there. It's, it's like, you know, we have this idea. We know what is, we know the supernatural exists. Your heart bears witness even in your conscience if you have the Lord. But we've got to stop changing what the word of God says to pacify an unbelieving world. No, it's, it's got to be in a, in a lab. We've got to see it. Even in a lab, they don't know what they're doing. They're experimenting, learning things every day. At some point, we have to agree. Okay. At some point, we have to come to this place where we're like, this is truth, and I believe it. And that's what the gospel is. Therefore, if you're trying to rationalize something supernatural by natural laws, it's not going to work. That's why it's called supernatural. It's above natural order. No, this has got to make sense, and I'm, I'm going to figure out a way to explain this to the lost world. No, you pray that the Holy Spirit speaks to them and explains to them what they don't have the God-given ability yet to understand, because he can give it to anybody. Stop trying to rationalize what the Lord's doing. That's why death is cheating you. Why? Because death is telling you what's right and what's wrong, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. That's the thing with the virus, right? Death is cheating you. We're all living in fear. This ain't the first one. This won't be the last one. If it takes another 100 years, a day with the Lord is 1,000 years on earth. You think this is the last challenge that we're going to make? You know, Katie bar the door. I'm just going to sit at home trust science. Like, you can't do that. Be smart. You know, don't, don't spiritualize everything in that sense, but like, you can't live in fear. You can't. So anyway, I, getting back to, <laughs> I don't even know what the point is anymore. We're having fun. We're having fun. How many are having fun? Yes, we are. Mm. What I'm trying to get, the point I'm trying to get across today is doctrine fixes everything. Having a good, working knowledge and understanding of the gospel gives perspective. Why is DJ never shaken about anything? Because he knows the Bible, and he knows God's word, 
And what happens, happens, but ultimately, he has strong, rooted faith. It's like, okay, may we all be like DJ. It's like, I wanna, I wanna get you riled up a little bit. No, the Lord's sovereign, he's our king, he'll rule. But that's what good doctrine does. It doesn't put you in a place of fear, it puts you in a place that understands what we're walking through. And that's what this thing of the, the resurrection will do. Okay, uh, let, let's get back on track here. Paul gives four points. I love this. Look, I love his description of the gospel and I love the way he does it. Look at verse number three. If you don't know what the gospel is, you're about to find out. Verse number three, for I passed on to you as most important what I also what? Received. Paul did not originate with this. Paul did not come up with this. Paul was what? Handed, he, handed, he was handed this by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, struck blind, right? Do you remember the story? Paul was like, I'm just telling it to you how I what? Received it. You know, it would be good for some of us to just say, I received this, it didn't originate with me. In a world where, oh my goodness, everybody must be original. I, I came up with this, it's mine. No, you don't have to be the hero, we have a hero. Listen to Paul, he's like, look, I'm just giving it to you like I received it. Oh my goodness. What does that do? It takes the burden of proof off of you. Watch it right here, here it is. That Christ died for our sins, his death. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Verse number four, that he was what? Buried. That he was what? Raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of who? Jesus Christ. It is the good news. The bad news is that you have sin and that your flesh born from Adam and therefore death reigns in your body. Therefore, not one person on the planet has escaped death except Enoch because he was caught up and Elijah because he was caught up. Other than that, death is gonna win. Death, ask yourself, jump off the cliff and you'll find out if death reigns. But, oh, I love that conjunction. But God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The gospel is the good news. The gospel is the great reversal. The gospel is not, not one person is above or greater than another. Not one race is greater than another. All are equal at the foot of the cross. He died for all men and all women, the gospel, the good news, the death, burial, and resurrection. But Paul doesn't stop there. Look what he does. And verse five, he appeared to who? Cephas. Then to the 12. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Paul says this, he didn't even use himself as the greatest example, and he met Jesus face to face after his death. Why? Because he thought of himself as the least of these. He persecuted Christians, he killed people. Don't take my word for it, I'm the chiefest of sinners. He came to Peter. Everybody knew the change that happened in that dude's heart. Let me, let me help you with something. If someone falsely accuses you of a crime, but you have an eyewitness account, are you gonna ask them to show up to court for you? If you, know, if you knew it was prison time, if that eyewitness or that alibi that you knew could prove that you weren't there at that time, how desperate would you be for that witness to testify on your behalf? Acts 1.8, ye will be witnesses 
That's a judicial legal term. What are we? We are all witnesses. And why? Because Paul stated it like this. Peter, what? Saw him. The 12, what? Saw him. 500 witnesses and people. I'm thinking even at his ascension. They what? They saw him. That holds up in court. I need scientific evidence. Well, there's proof that he, denied, he defied, not denied, he defied scientific law and he rose again on the third day. For some of you to say, how do you know that? How do you believe that? How is that a reality in your mind? Because it happened. How do you know that? Listen, if you were in court, an eyewitness account, an eyewitness testimony is all that you need, right? The burden of proof. And that's what, that's what we are. We are to be witnesses. We are to share that. And Paul was saying, look, it happened. We saw it. It's the real deal. Let's keep moving. Let's keep moving. There's, there's things to go, people to see here. Paul makes it abundantly clear, watch this, why the gospel consists of and how it is to be accepted. Look at verse number one. We're working our way through this 58-verse chapter. Verse number one says, now I want to make clear for you, this is like plain and simple, right? He's a little bit condescending, but that's okay. He's the Apostle Paul. I want to make it clear for you, brothers and sisters, right here, look right here, I want to make this clear. The gospel I preach to you, which you what? received, on which you have taken your what? Stand, and by which you are being what? Saved or delivered, if you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So we're reverse engineering this passage. Paul is saying everything I've said and will say and I'm going to say about the resurrection is the whole reason you're here. Why do people not stay in church, why do people fall away? Why do people flake? Because they don't stand on the truth of the gospel. They're standing on something else. They're standing on fill in the blank for the reasons people come and go in church. You know what I mean? What Paul is saying, I wanna make something abundantly clear to you so that you don't believe this in vain. What you're standing on, the reason why you're here is not because you're a good person, is not because you made the right decisions. It's because of Jesus and his gospel message. End of story. Everybody take a real deep breath. <gasps> it's okay. It's gonna be fine. I, but how many like know that this is not the message that the church is standing on today? You feel me? We're standing on every other thing. We're looking for every other answer instead of the simplistic gospel story. Gospel centrality to your life solves everything, every problem. Measure your life decisions and your life choices up to the gospel, and that will tell you if you're doing the right thing or the wrong thing. And you don't believe me? Hang on, we're getting to the practical part in a minute. This is so good. He gives a clear explanation of what is to be and how it is to be accepted. Paul does not put the burden of proof on himself, he states it by many other trustworthy sources. Now go to verse 19. Go to verse 19. If we put our hope in Christ Jesus for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. Paul is addressing the issue of the resurrection and hitting it head on. It is of utmost importance, listen to this, 
utmost importance to Paul that they not only accept this doctrine, but that it be embraced in their understanding of the gospel as a whole. It is a part of the gospel and significant to the effectiveness of the gospel. What are you saying, Pastor Matt? Well, what I'm saying is you can't just say, well, Jesus died for your sins. How do, how do I get saved? Just trust in Jesus, he died for your sins. That's one what? Part of it. That's not the whole thing. Paul is effectively telling you how and what you should believe and receive and what you should be standing on. Paul's saying if Jesus was not raised from the dead, we ought to be pitied because there's no purpose in the pain. If, if he couldn't escape death, if he couldn't defeat the global eternal enemy that's gotten everybody else, then why should we what? Listen to him. That's what Paul is saying. But yet, how many Christians have not internalized this doctrine and what it means? Okay, all right, God bless. Ah, I love this verse. He's addressing this issue. It's a part of the gospel and it's significant to the effectiveness of the gospel. Let me ask you this question. I had to pull up here and kind of ask this in this nature and in this context. Getting to this place, knowing how many see at this point in the message that the resurrection is essential. Anybody see it? Okay, three of you. What's wrong with the rest of you? What do I need to say? What do I need to do? How many of you see that the resurrection is essential to the gospel message? Okay, that's better. All right, I'm coming for the you other one. No, I'm kidding. I'm not coming for anybody. How, listen, here's the question. How do we determine what is essential? You know what I mean? Like Paul makes a really big deal about this and he connects it to the gospel and he says, this is essential, right? Kind of like, am I an essential worker or not, right? Who's essential, who's non-essential, right? What, what, what's What's right, what's wrong here? Does anybody ever get caught in the infinite mind loop of what really matters in eternity and what doesn't, or am I the only one that thinks about that stuff? Does anybody else think about that? How do we determine? I think if we're, if we're careful and faithful to scripture here, we're gonna see how we determine by how Paul got to this place. Listen to this. There have been several things throughout this book that have been determined to be essential. Here's, here's a few, to name a few, right, in our study here of 1 Corinthians. The Holy Spirit, the cross, sexual purity, unity in the body, church ordinances and order, the presence of love at the center of all. These are things that he has deemed essential. Listen to this verse. If the dead, verse 32 here in our text, if the dead are not raised, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived, this next line, many of you need this, bad company corrupts good morals. Come to your senses, watch this, come to your senses, stop sinning, for some people are ignorant about God. I say this to your shame. How did Paul deem what was essential? Essential doctrine guides us to holy living. Essential doctrine guides us to holy living. Well, I, th I think this is essential, and I think we need to teach on this, and I think we need that, and that piece. What mattered to Paul? Does this affect your life? Is this gonna translate to you, stop, to you stopping sinning? That's horrible English. Is this gonna translate to you changing? If it's not, then it's not really essential, is it? That's how he determined. He saw and he viewed 
the idea and the doctrine of the resurrection as something that should be internalized and ultimately produce a massive change in your heart. Do you see that? He's saying, if the Lord wasn't raised from the dead, what does this scripture say? Let's go eat and drink and tomorrow we what? Tomorrow we die. If doctrine does not connect you to eternity, it's not essential. If doctrine doesn't give you the perspective on how to live today for tomorrow, it's not essential. Many of you are caught up in the least essential things in scripture. And the things that are essential that would actually make a big difference, you're like, oh, eat, drink, and tomorrow we die. No. Like, we have to understand that essential doctrine guides us to holy living. If it doesn't affect our day-to-day, then it is either not essential or it's not understood. In this case of the Corinthian church, it was very misunderstood. They were thinking that death is the end. So therefore their life, their life is the only one they have and it should be lived for themselves. But if there is life beyond the grave, then there is a new meaning to life that prepares the way for immortality. Mm -mm -mm. Somebody say amen. Verse 50 says this. What I am saying, brothers and sisters, remember we read this in the beginning, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God nor can corruption inherit incorruption. Listen to this statement. We have to make a connection. If our belief system is not connected to our future, then we are only living for ourselves, only. At that point, we are merely, and this is a shame, but we're merely soothing our conscience with systems and structures to appease our fears. That's unfortunately the average church. Why do I know that it's the average church? Because so many are leaving the church. So many churches are not doing ministry. They're not reaching people. Why? There's a connection that's been broken. We've become obsessed with things that do not matter. And Paul is saying what really matters is this doctrine that Jesus died, was buried, and he broke the grave. And he rose again, and if you internalize that, guess what he's gonna do? He's gonna break the chains of your sin and allow you to live a spiritual life in a non-spiritual, physical world. Really? Yes. The Lord will connect your day-to-day life to his kingdom, his eternal, never-dying, never-passing-away kingdom. You today, through the Holy Spirit of God, and the power of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ can enter into the eternal, can enter into the supernatural. Do you understand how incredible that is? Well, no, not really. I'm here, I'm punching a clock, I feel better about myself. (laughs) I'm, you think I'm playing. People come to church literally to feel better about themselves. Did my good deed. Stopped, gave that guy a dollar on the corner. Sure did. I did. Are we playing church or are we playing church? I think I'm going to volunteer at that event. Yep. I'm going to get the right angle. Post that junk on Facebook. <laughs> Serving at church. Hashtag simply Jesus. But it wouldn't be simple without me. <laughs> I'm 
you think I'm making this stuff up? I've been in church work a long time. I've seen people come, people go, and they're obsessed with themselves. We're missing the point. If you can't connect what you're doing to eternity, to the kingdom of God, if you can't connect what you put in the offering plate with God's kingdom, then you're doing it for the wrong reason. Does that make sense? Man, this is the truth and, and the power of the resurrection. I fa- Here's what Paul said in verse 31. Look at the text. We're winding down. We're circling the wagons, maybe. Verse 31, I face death every day. How can we, look, how can we get to the place where we put our big boy spiritual pants on like Paul? I face death every day. I'd be like, I'm out, yo. <laughs> if it ain't serving church, you know, I want no parts of it. How many of us would just do what's right for the Lord if nobody knew about it? That's like step one for Americans. Would just serve the Lord and do what's right because the Lord's connecting us to an eternal purpose, not some earthly purpose here. That's the power of the resurrection. Doing what you do for supernatural reasons. And, and my point is, is how do people get to the place where they're burned at the stake and where they give their lives like this? Because they're tethered to the supernatural. Paul says this, I face death every day. As surely as I may boast about you, brothers and sisters in Christ our Lord, in Christ our Lord, watch this. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus as a mere man, what good did that do me if the dead are not raised? Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Paul is saying, I put my life on the line. I've literally been hunted by wild beasts. I've been thrown in coliseums. What would the point be if the dead aren't raised? Why would, here's what Paul is saying. Why would I go to the extreme measure to die if there wasn't a resurrection? Church, how do we contextualize this for 2021? I don't even know, but here's, I'll say it this way. Why do you even go through the trouble of signing up and serving in church if there's not a resurrection? If you're only gonna get the that a boy instead of the well done, thou good and faithful servant, why be here? This is why our churches aren't filled. We are not tethered to the eternal truths of the word of God. We're appeasing our consciences. We just like it, we feel better. I just feel better about myself. This is all about self-love, isn't it? It's 2021, love yourself. Learn how to love yourself. Sing a Justin Bieber song here, just a second. We have to make the connection. If Paul is willing to face death, then he's connected to something greater, yes? Here's three points. Look, if I don't make this connection for you, to walk out of here with a tangible way to deploy the truth of the power of the resurrection in your own life, then I failed. This was a flop. But I got three practical things for you today that I think will really help you. Here it is. Number one, blur the line. Number one, how do we connect this? How do we cheat death? I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Did I say that right? (laughs) How do we understand and put death in its right perspective? Here it is. Number one, blur the line between the earthly and the heavenly. See things as God sees it. We, we have to get to, a, to the place where, and here's where I'm getting this. Paul gives the illustration of the fleshly body and the what? Spiritual body. There's, Paul says this. He says, it's a mystery. Here's what Paul's doing. The fine line between what is physical and what is spiritual, he's erasing it. 
and he's putting a big question mark. He's saying, it's a mystery. There's no sign of where my flesh ends and Jesus begins. I'm living my life for another world. Stay with me. Are you, are you, are you getting what I'm saying? If, if we are to take the power of the resurrection and put it in our lives, we have to understand that that doesn't fit. The average person, if you're watching online or you're listening in person, they calculate. They posture. They go, if I jump off a cliff, I'm going to what? If we don't know that, we can't go any further. Every head bowed, every eye closed. <laughs> if you walk off a cliff, you what? Right, that's, that's a definite thing, but what Paul is saying is it's not definite for Christians. That death is not your future, that's only the beginning of your spiritual life that exists for eternity. So therefore, I will live today for eternity and I will blur the line. It doesn't mean I'm gonna go meet Jesus tomorrow, it means that I'm gonna help others meet Jesus today. It means that I'm gonna erase the line from the physical to the spiritual, and I'm gonna be a spiritual person, not because I'm good, but because he's good. Not because of what I do, but because of what he did. If he defeated the grave and he rose again on the third day, then I can live today for him and for my tomorrow. We've gotta blur the line. We've got to blur the line. What, what do you mean? Well, if we don't understand spirituality as Christians, nobody will. They're eat, drink. Look, you know there are people in your life that are just making as much money as they can make with no purpose. Just to have it. They're going out to the nicest restaurant just to eat it. And they will store up and store up and store up for no reason because they can't take it What? They can't take it with them. We are the only ones, church, that can say, I believe that I have a savior that defeated death, so therefore death isn't cheating me of one day I'm gonna blur the line. What's physical is only gonna be physical if it contributes to the spiritual. If not, I'm getting rid of it. Boy, what would we do if we had business owners and church members in this church that lived for the kingdom of God that blurred the line? that blurred the line. Would more be done for the gospel or less? That's number one, blur the line. Number two, never let earthly limitations control your decisions for God. If death has been defeated, then why should fear control a decision you make for God? If literally the end point in your life is out of the physical control of your life, that means when your life ends, your spiritual life what? continues, we'll say continues for sake of illustration. My point to you is why do we ever let anything earthly make our decisions for us as it pertains to what Jesus is doing in our life? Number one, blur the line between the earthly and heavenly. Number two, never let earthly limitations control your decisions for God. So many of you are in a pivotal point in your life. You're at a pivotal decision, a pivotal place. Don't make the decision with earthly power in mind. Make it with supernatural power in mind. God, what do you want me to do? And then you know he's gonna put that thing in your spirit and you're gonna be like, oh no. I can't. Uh, no, I don't wanna do that because of all the blanks that are gonna be filled are earthly reasons why you shouldn't do that heavenly thing. Church, we, we, gotta, we gotta go for broke here. 
What do you mean? I, I mean literally, we understand we're not living for this world, we're living for what? The kingdom of God. Why do we know that? Because we have a foundation of the Lord breaking this world, breaking the laws through the resurrection and saying, just live for me. Man, helpful hints here. Never let earthly limitations control your decision for God. Some of y'all, some of y'all need to go back, get a journal, and think about the last 10 decisions you made. The last 10. Write them down. I, I decided to do that. I decided to do that. Yep, I decided. 10 of them. Well, I don't make decisions. Yes, you do. I decided to not eat breakfast today and nearly passed out during worship. <laughs> I made a decision. I was dumb. We all make decisions. Go back and think about the last 10. I bet you, I bet you death has cheated you out of some of those decisions. I bet you some of them were motivated by fear. I bet you some of you were scared the Lord was calling you into turbulent waters. Right now, I know it in my spirit. He was calling you into turbulent waters and you took the easy way out. You never put your foot on the shaky ground. Look, we can't, we can't live in this life and not take those supernatural chances and expect to have the joy of the Lord. Sometimes joy comes in suffering. Sometimes it comes in the supernatural. But it comes in all manners and forms that are not of this world. The comfort that you think that decision is gonna bring you will be a fraction of the joy that you'll get from the Lord in taking the chance. Number three, remember death is the only one that can cheat you because you have already defeated death through Jesus. <laughs> Remember, death is, the, come on up. Death is the only one that can cheat you because you've already defeated it. So church, can we today, can we today live in the life that Jesus has given us? She's just gonna sing a song, it's okay. Y'all look right here. <laughs> you Don't escape this sermon. Don't run from the truth of the resurrection. What does it mean? It means that he's given you a new life. So if you're unhappy with the one that you have, it's okay. Everything doesn't hinge on what you have. You understand what I'm saying? It hinges on what he's done. The power of the gospel. The power of the gospel. I wanna share this with you. Look at verse number eight. You can go ahead and start playing. I'll have you sing here in just a second. Look at verse number eight. Last of all, as one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. This is very powerful. At first glance, it, it seems that Paul thinks that he's being born at a time period that he felt like he should have been born in another time period, but that's not at all what the Greek word is saying. Born at the wrong time is one Greek word and I looked it up in the Septuagint, the, the Greek version of the Old Testament. And here's the one verse that that word, one born at the wrong time, is used in the Septuagint. Job 3.16, or why was I not hidden like a miscarried child, like infants who never see daylight? Miscarried child is the same Greek word that Paul uses as one born at the wrong time. What Paul is saying as an infant is not ready to be born, and it is born. A still birth without its life, it is born at the wrong time. 
Our English doesn't really capture the idea how they translated that. Here's literally what Paul is saying. I view myself, I view my life as a stillborn. I only view what I have in light of what God has resurrected it to be. I can't think of a more vivid, and this is a painful illustration for me. My sister had a stillborn years ago. Her name's Lily. And in in my mind, I think and envision how old she would be. I think she'd be in high school, junior high or high school. And I think in my mind, like, I can't wait to meet her again. And in the most spiritual sense, I think about the time I'll get to spend with her on the other side. But Paul uses that vivid illustration to define how we should feel about our lives. Unfortunately, we're running away with our lives. We've got everything figured out. And Paul said, you know what I've done? Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul said, you know the power of the resurrection, you know what it's caused me to do? It's caused me to be a stillborn. I've completely killed myself and I'm only living for the kingdom of God. Thanks for tuning in for this message on the Bethlehem Church Podcast. We hope it was a blessing to you. If you want to know more about us, feel free to check out our website at bethlehemchurch.cc. And also in every message that we publish, you'll find our sermon notes in the description. And we hope that you'll study these topics further. We'll see you next time.